0: Before we begin, just giving you an update on our new subscription, it's called David McWilliams Plus on Apple, you just double click, you get no ads, and you get me
1: and John, pure and simple. And Mac, you get early access episodes, did you know that? Sure, my day is made.
0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
2: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature.
1: This podcast is powered by Acast.
0: How are you doing there? Podcast time. A bizarre podcast now because I'm talking to my old mate who's actually in the Beacon Hospital. John. Hello. You know, when we were young fellas, right? John Davis has had an extraordinary career. Max, calling stop. these things. But in actual fact, now he's actually sick. Usually he was, I have a sore throat, I can't go to school. I'm after doing me home. The dog at me homework notebook, but now he's actually sick. How are you, Head? Look, what I'm is right. wrong
1: with you? You're getting better. I'm I'm getting better. I'm far from 100 percent yet, but by Jesus, what a week that was! What you've, I, you have a disease in your hoop? Do you know what? <laughs> not quite me hoop, but do um, so you remember last week we recorded the the podcast?
0: Yeah, and, and you were I was sick telling as a dog. at the
1: time. Yeah, I was going, oh, this is. It was a bit of a struggle the whole thing, but later on that afternoon, I just I killed over, and the pain in my in your belly, stomach, is it? yeah. And I thought, you know, you know yourself, you think it's a bit of this, it's a bit of that. Yeah. And uh, anyway, it got to the point when I, I couldn't walk. I literally keeled over. I was sick. I was sweating.
0: By the way, that's actually John's normal
1: condition. <laughs> well, that's the way I wake up on a Sunday <laughs> exactly. morning. <laughs>
0: exactly. But <laughs> the DT sweating <laughs> in his own juices.
1: Come on, anyway, so you, you so, end up so, in the Beacon. Uh, I ended up in the Beacon and they took one look at me. But it turned out I have diverticulitis, but not just diverticulitis, a very acute form of it. So your NED is completely out of sorts. Yeah, it's my guts. Yeah, it was just a really bad infection. I don't know how you get an infection there, but anyway, i got one.
0: Uh, uh, If we have any medics listening to the show, would you please... uh, (laughs) Write it to us, maybe on Twitter, at David McW to explain to But hold on, so you're on a dose of, look, you know what happens? I go away for a couple of weeks. I've been looking after him all my life. I've been picking, looking after the young fellow all my life. I go away for a few weeks and he ends up on a gurney no. in the bleeding Beacon Hospital.
1: I've been morphined out of my nut for, for half the week. <laughs> Not for the first time, I- John. <laughs> uh, it works, man. It works. Buzz ain't great, but it works. Buzz, <laughs> but listen, you're you're on the mend. Yeah, no, I'm good. I, I should be getting out a bit later, but then I have 10 days of IV drips at home. Jesus. So There you go. Jesus,
0: I'll be home in a couple of
1: weeks to look after you, to mother you. I'll I, I can't wait, Mac. Uh, you can come up and give me a hug. <laughs> give you hugs. But I have to say, I have to say, I was incredibly well looked after. There was no messing around here. But particularly the nurses have been fantastic. Roisin, Claire, Amy, Annie, Nikki, Crystal, Davis, the whole lot have been fantastic. And I just want to say that. I know loads of people say that as a kind of a plum-off it sounds, These it sounds guys like, are fantastic.
0: That sounds like Girls Aloud with a bloke like David. <laughs> well, listen, I look, great. I look, I'll be home in a week or two. Look after yourself, you big gobshite. And for, <laughs> look after your net, look after your gut, okay? And stop smoking.
1: Yes, David, yes. They told me, me that too. Stop smoking. They told idiot. me that. But they said it's kind of stress-related as well. Uh, that's that's coming from you. Do anyway. doing this podcast, exactly. Exactly. <laughs>
0: Okay, let us move on. John is Lazarus. We thought he was brown bread about 4 days ago. He is now the antibiotics work, the morphine works. He is now back on his feet, thanks bit of Jesus. Look after yourself, sunshine. Let us oh, now yeah. talk about Taiwan. Yes. Because that's what I want to go to next. Do you know, John, that Ireland, remember we talked about last week the Irish manufacturing miracle that I spoke about? Yeah. Ireland is one of the very few countries in the world that has a trade surplus with China. We actually export more to the Chinese than we import. We have a trade surplus really? of about 3 billion euros. Surplus, know, what what is, exp- is that kind of dairy and dairy, farm produce and stuff? Speaking of things, bloods, vaccines, all sorts of stuff that right. we make. We, we export to the Chinese and they, of course, export lots of Chinese stuff back to us. But it is interesting that Ireland has a trade surplus with China And a trade deficit with Taiwan, but much, much smaller. Right. But it shows you that, you know, all this talk about whether there's going to be a trade war, whether there's going to be sanctions on China, et cetera, et cetera, will have a massive material impact, not just on us directly, but indirectly. But before we talk about that, I'll just give you a, a statistic. You know, everyone's talking about, well, maybe there will be a trade war with China. And it'll go along the lines of what, because the West has kind of shown its hand, right? Yeah. In Ukraine. So the strategy yeah. is you arm the Ukrainians, you sanction the Russians, and that's the twin track approach. The only problem is China's much, much bigger than Russia. The Chinese GDP is 10 times bigger than Russia. Yeah. Chinese banks have 30 times more assets than Russian banks. There's six times more Western investment in China. It's the top trading country in the world, second largest economy It's an extraordinary thing. The Rand Corporation, John, who are an American think tank, right? They actually had a report a couple of years ago called, I think appropriately, Thinking the Unthinkable, which is that a war with China, a trade war with China, would slash US GDP by about 7% and Chinese GDP by about 30%. That would completely and utterly change the world. This is an issue that ain't going away.
1: This has been building for for years, though, as well. I mean, we've been speaking about this for a while. And I think COVID really showed up the weak points in the global supply chains. So this whole crisis is just an extension of that almost.
0: Well, if you think about it, right, so the Chinese Civil War, people forget that Japan invades China, well, Manchuria, in the 1930s, late 20s, 30s. When they were trying to get rid of the Japanese, there was a Chinese civil war between the nationalists, who were by far and away the most likely winners, and the communists under under Mao Zedong, right? And of course, what happens is you've got that long march the communists talk about, Mm. communists eventually win. They kick the nationalists under a guy called Shek, and they go to Taiwan, and they set up a nationalist government in opposition to the communists, right? so this has been since 1948 49 this has been an objective of communist china to take back taiwan from these nationalist forces yeah so this is not a crisis that has been unsignaled in the world it's been going on for years right but it's only now that china feels strong enough to actually threaten the states okay and that's where we're at we're at that kind of it's a, it's again it's a pivotal moment where China feels strong enough to say, okay, now either we're going to have a go, we're not going to have a go. That's the context of this, the historical context. Let's go to Taiwan. Let's talk to our Taiwanese expert, Angelica Ung. She's in Taiwan right now. Let's go over there and see what it's like on the ground. We are now going to Taiwan. Do not say that this podcast doesn't bring you live reports from the action all around the world. Angelica Ung is on the line from Taiwan. How are you, Angelica?
3: Oh, I am doing so well, despite everything. And uh, yeah, I, I I always figure it's that time. If my good friend and from Ireland and editor from around the world are asking for copies again, it must be Taiwan is the most dangerous place on Earth clock again.
0: Tell me, okay, <laughs> what does it feel like to be in the most dangerous place on Earth right uh- now? What's going
3: well, on? On the ground, the atmosphere is completely calm, completely calm. Even after Pelosi left, I, I could understand when she came and, and nothing much was happening um, and people were calm. But after that, you have had basically China conducting the most intense military drills we've ever had around us since at least the 1996 Third Taiwan Straits crisis. And you can argue that this time it's even more intense. You have live fire ammunition flying over the island and dropping into Japanese waters. So it, it really, I think, uh, frankly, people should be a little bit more concerned than they appear to be right
0: now. So tell me, what's your, what's your read on everything? Because we're getting, obviously, the European view, the American view. What is the view from the region? What's the view from the island? What do you think is the view from China?
3: Okay. Well, first of all, from Taiwan, the everyday people are just, they're just sick of this, you know, and they've been living with this for so long that they've ceased to be able to react to the day-to-day. I've only lived here for a few years. And so for me, First of all, you got to live your life. There's no way you can just, you know, jump out of your skin every time China does this, which is, you know, fairly often, you know, our neighbors to the West will throw a tantrum. But this time, I think we really have to look at exactly what China is doing with those military drills. And you see six live sites that they've announced that goes all the way around the island. And that is starting to look like a blockade. The blockade scenario is something that's been mooted, but I personally, and when I've discussed with people, we've assumed that it would be a physical blockade with the vessels. And if you look at what they're doing right now, it's almost like a virtual blockade. All they're saying is, watch out, missiles might fall out of the sky at these, 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 these coordinates, but that's going to have like absolutely going to have an effect on commercial traffic. Nobody's going to take the risk of going through waters where their vessels might get hit. So they, they don't have to put a national vessel there. All they have to do is announce. And you kind of have a virtual blockade situation. I think that's very interesting. And then, of course, you have a lot of jets going over the median line, kind of a, like, you know, a imaginary line halfway down the Taiwan Strait, where this side is ours and that side is theirs. That's traditionally been a more or less respected But now we're wondering, okay, now we have aircrafts coming over. Is that going to be the new normal? So there's really a lot to think about, a lot to unpack. The Taiwanese response is calm. I would say there's a lot more hysteria going on in the Chinese side because they really took the Pelosi visit as a slap to the face. And their netizens have gotten Really, really riled and agitated, and they're netizens. They're netizens. What's a netizen? The netizens. Well, they're the everyday Chinese people who are online, who are on their equivalent. Yeah, tell me what Twitter. are they? What are they
0: saying? Because we can't. We can't. We obviously we don't understand it. We don't understand Cantonese, Mandarin. Latin. What are they saying? Well,
3: Well, a good Korean economist friend of mine actually jokes that we shouldn't be agitating for democracy in China because if it's the netizens that get their way, the invasion of Taiwan would happen tomorrow. They are extremely high on patriotism. And because Pelosi's trip was telegraphed so far in advance, you had all this time for China to get mad and say, you're not allowed to come. And of course, the moment they said that, then there's no way she can not come without the Americans losing face. And the the Chinese made so many outlandish threats, which fortunately they didn't carry out on. They were very calm while Pelosi was here physically, but they made so many threats that were outlandish. um, They kind of forgot domestically. Their people uh, just got high on patriotic fervor and they were expecting much, much more dramatic action on the part of the Chinese military, even oh, so
0: now. So now they're trying to, you know, because I've even noticed even reading the, the press, they're trying to spin the whole thing. But let's actually talk about, you mentioned Korea. And what yes. fascinates me is the axis between Taiwan, Korea, and Japan. These three very, very pro-American countries in Asia, incredibly important to the United States, incredibly important to China, this is not just about Taiwan. This is about no, this triangle no. in that part of the world. Explain to me this. We're talking about a huge amount, possibly 10% of global GDP. Ex-China. I'm just talking these three countries. Yes. So we're talking a, phenomenal, a phenomenally important area. What's the sense of Korea,
3: Japan, yourselves? Okay. The balance of power between China and the U.S. is changing militarily. So it used to be the U.S. can just be guaranteeing the security for the whole region. If you remember in the 96 crisis, China were shooting missiles into the waters. The U.S. just sent in a couple of carrier groups and they backed right down. They Their military was like a chihuahua compared to now. Yeah, exactly. But um, now things are different. So we can't rely on the U.S. I, I don't think. They can't just on their own can win. So now it's it's about having to safeguard our own regional stability. We've seen Taiwan and Japan do a great job at this, and a lot of the credit goes to the late former Prime Minister of Japan Shinzo Abe, who was very unfortunately assassinated so recently. A great friend of Taiwan, a great friend of America, and a great promoter of regional military cooperation. So now what we're seeing is Shinzo Abe famously said, a contingency for Taiwan is a contingency for Japan. And it's not just because we're such great friends. It's, it's, you look at the geography, it forms a all the archipelagos all the way from north of Japan all the way down to Borneo with Taiwan right in the middle forms what's called a first island chain. And this first island chain really keeps China in check somewhat in the region militarily. But if, God forbid, if Taiwan falls to China, then Japan would not have a moment of peace. They would completely be in China's sphere of influence. So it's really intolerable to them. It shouldn't be tolerable to them. Now, the Korea situation is a little bit complicated. So we can... I think I have confidence that in a case of any kind of attack on Taiwan, just as the U.S. will be involved, the Japanese will be involved. With the Koreans, it's very, slightly different because they're actually attached physically to China and, of course, North Korea, their nuclear armed neighbor. So for them, I think it's a little bit harder to stand up and join this little pact because they really, really have to watch China. If you notice, actually, a Korean, the Korean president didn't even meet with Pelosi. He said he was on holiday and they did a video call. So, no, you know, what's going on there? So I, I don't know if I can count on the Koreans in the same way, although popular sentiments within South Korea are highly, highly anti-China right now. They are all over the world. They will be in every democratic country just because the Chinese have chosen this path of wolf warrior diplomacy, which is basically, you know, being loud, obnoxious and bullying. And most people don't like that. And so most democratic countries are going to be put off by that.
0: And can I ask you, Most people listening to the podcast know exactly where Taiwan is. We even have, as you know, an Irish GAA team in Taiwan that approached you and said, come and play GAA, okay. (laughs) Right? That's right. Taiwan, the Taipei gales or whatever, right? So we have obviously we have our spies, we've got the paddy, the paddy mafias everywhere, we've got our spies. Can you explain to me what one of the most phenomenal things is that 92% of all the little chips that go into phones and all technology are made in Taiwan from one company, the Taiwanese That's right. one Taiwanese company. Can you explain to me? Last week we were talking the podcast about manufacturing bases, how you create manufacturing bases. How did Taiwan go from when I was a kid, made in Taiwan was a shorthand for cheap kind of knockoff goods, etc. How did Taiwan go? in 40 years, maybe 30 years, from being a place where low productivity, low technology, low wages were prevalent, and the things that Taiwan produced were pretty much basic, to this unbelievably sophisticated economy, globally significant, absolutely world beaten in terms of corporations. How did you
3: do it? It it is an incredible story. And there's a two ways you can tell that story. And they both have some validity. The first is that East Asia and Taiwan is a good example. It's actually one of the very rare places where forced localization and industrial policy played a pretty key role. You had the government setting up these special export zones where people were incentivized to set up factories. You've had the government being very hard-nosed about technology transfer. So that's one part of it. And the other part of it, so we just had these incredibly vital, almost like family run businesses that truly just focused on getting the orders, getting the next iteration, leveling up their technology. So, you know, one moment you had people, they were making lawn furniture and then The next they were making um, toys and, you know, I'm thinking of one company, Thunder Tiger, and now they're making like autonomous vehicles. And to go from that kind of low tech to high tech while remaining a very small family run business is is really rare in the world. Actually, I think it's a big part of the. Taiwanese special sauce. Let me give you something to think about. You think about TSMC and you think of, oh, wow, it's, it supplies all of the world's chips.
0: Explain TSMC to me again, Kimik, just so that we, the listeners know.
3: Taiwan Semiconductor Company, and it's founded by Morris Chang, who was this executive that was put out to pasture by Texas Instruments. He was already, I believe, in his 50s and they were like sending him off to retirement. And he's like, hell no, no, I'm going to go back to my native land and we are going to start a semiconductor industry. Of course, there's a lot of stars aligning. There's a lot of the U.S. winking and wanting this to happen. But, you know, we pioneered the Pure play foundry model, and they've just been relentless when it comes to capital, capital uh, investment, and getting the best chip machines. And uh, here we are; they are clearly in the lead. But I want to shift the focus back a little bit. They make the the world's super advanced chips, but they are actually also relying on a huge supply chain of family run companies making everything from testing equipment to clean room material that have followed them. They have, they have hundreds of companies in their supply chain, and these are small-medium enterprises with perhaps less than a 1,000 employees. And they follow TSMC, they support TSMC, and it's actually why I, and Morris Chang said this, and I agree with him, I actually kind of doubt all the, efforts from governments around the world to try and get TSMC to invest in their country. I don't think it's going to work, not because TSMC isn't willing to do the deals, but because you can take a piece of TSMC and put it in Arizona, but how are you going to take this amazing ecosystem and put it there? You simply cannot.
0: Well, it's a fascinating story for Irish people because as we were talking about the podcast last week about Ireland managing to acquire a manufacturing base from American multinationals. And the model has always been exactly this Taiwanese idea. we have industrial policy, so you actually focus it. Then you get one or two homegrown or international stars or heroes. And -hmm. then it percolates down into these, you know, value-added Irish companies supporting the major companies. And what you're saying is that in Taiwan, you've built this extraordinary infrastructure where Family companies support the major multinational. The multinational dominates the globe and it's not repeatable.
3: I don't think it is. It's a very unique environment that also has to do with Taiwanese labor conditions. You have very hardworking engineers that are frankly underpaid for what it is that they do in the world. And that's another story for another time. But I have a very hard time believing that you can repeat the TSMC success elsewhere in the world, apart from the Taiwanese context.
0: And do you think that China sees this and says, not only could we take over Taiwan on the basis of Taiwan is China, the one China policy, this is part of our great big sort of Chinese story, but actually we wouldn't mind owning the world's semiconductor business too?
3: Actually, I don't think they are that naive. It'll be impossible For TSMC to function in that way, because you have to understand the supply chain for semiconductors is so global and so convoluted. For instance, all the amazing advances they've made, if the TSMC is the bakery, ASML, which is based in the Netherlands, is the maker of the ovens. And you can't have the best bakery without the best ovens and the chips are like (laughs) breads or cakes or whatever, right? And So those uh, EUV lithography machines that they use to etch the chips, they're from ASML. And the reason why the Chinese semiconductor industry has been stymied is not so much they're, they're just not getting access to the best equipment. And those are trade, you know, trade geopolitical trade reasons, right? So the moment they take over Taiwan, TSMC would not be TSMC anymore. I believe that if anything, the world would, and fingers crossed if this would be the case, double down on Chinese aggression with even more sanctions on trade. So they will definitely not be getting a world class in my conductor the sure,
0: they'd just they're, they're just, they're just be buying a hulk. They'd be just buying a hulk and they'd be cut off from the supply chain and then and, and, and the company doesn't exist. Can I ask you this last thing, okay? Look forward in the next couple of weeks, next couple of months. What do you think Taiwan will feel like? Because China's obviously has decided to up the ante. You have mm-hmm. this quasi blockade. Your quasi-blockade scares the hell out of investors. It scares the hell out of everybody else. It scares the hell out of Taiwanese companies because, as you said, if you have a supply chain and you have a blockade or a quasi or a virtual blockade, suddenly that whole business model collapses.
3: Well, let's see. The Taiwanese companies are not so worried. And while I did talk about the virtual blockade, it's not like they're keeping this up for a long time. They are doing this and hopefully withdrawing. And so I actually anticipate in the short term for life to remain fairly normal. But I do hope that the relevant authorities, as well as the people, take this as the warning shot that this is. This is not merely a show of force, I believe, but an opportunity for the Chinese military to carry out some of these maneuvers, almost like a dry run. So we have to look at, more seriously, the possibility of a blockade. And our uh, Minister of Economic Affairs came out and said, don't worry, everybody, we have 11 days of LNG supply. And uh, first of all, I happen to know that's not true. because It's also not very reassuring. Exactly. I, I think from industry sources, the real count is probably about seven to eight days supply. But even if it is true, 11 days is pretty pathetic when it comes to a siege scenario you want to make sure you have fuel you want to make sure you have food and of course we hope that this wouldn't happen it would be crazy people keep saying Xi won't do this this is crazy it'll be crazy for his economy and uh, that's another reason we feel safer in the short term right because there's so much going on in China right now and he's looking forward to his re-election in the fall but you know uh, we got to look beyond that you know she has said also that he intends to get reunification with Taiwan done on his watch. So, just hoping for the best is really not adequate as a response anymore. We really need to look concretely into preparing.
0: Can I ask you, what, what can you do? Hold on, look, like, there, there is an element of Ukraine, Russia, Crimea going on here. You know, I think it was Donald Trump put it succinctly, and this is a to John, who's a Trump obsession, but not in the good (laughs) or bad way, right? But Donald Trump got out a map of the world, right? And he looked at China and he looked at the Straits of Taiwan and he looked at Taiwan and he looked at the United States from Washington and he says, hold on a second, we are 8,000 miles from these people, right? China is, what, 100 miles. In practical terms, if the Chinese decide in the morning, could be crazy, could be mad, could be Putin-esque, but they said, "Okay, now is our time. We've done the dry one. We've done the test. We can take this place." What can the world
3: do? Well, actually, if they they couldn't do what Putin did because Taiwan is an island, and to launch an amphibious assault is a very, very challenging thing, they probably wouldn't be able to do it without truly unacceptable losses on their end too. You have to remember it's not just a matter of whether they can do it, but whether they can do it without completely ruining themselves. So it's not as quite as easy as that. That's why there's more of a focus on, in my mind anyhow, we should prepare for a blockade scenario because a blockade scenario, one in which China kind of forces Taiwan to voluntarily give up that would be much, much more doable. So the question is then in a blockade scenario, is Taiwan able to hold out until some sort of international consensus on what to do, how to act? And I believe that we are still capable of defending Taiwan with the right mix of US and Japanese support But it might take some time, and that's why we have to be prepared, and we also have to strengthen our own military. The whole idea is Xi Jinping wants to get this done, and the whole name of the game is to put him on our schedule, which is never. We want him to wake up every day, take a look at the situation, and think to himself, well, not today. We just want him to keep <laughs> saying that every day, forever, right? That is the name of the game. And I'm optimistic about it because I, I honestly, and this I might be naive, I honestly don't think that Chinese leadership is as monolithic as Russian leadership. I do believe that there is more of a, maybe not visible to the Western world, I do believe that there's more of an organization there that prevents things that are truly going to be on an existential level damaging to China from going ahead. But of course, we can't know that. And so that's why we absolutely have to be prepared. And I I love Speaker Pelosi. I think she, she truly is a friend of democracy and consistent with her long running uh, no she went to Tiananmen Square you know just a few years after the massacre and she paid her respects there so this is a consistent view of her hers but i can't help but wonder if coming to taiwan was a lovely symbol of symbolic support for taiwan whether or not in a strategic sense we are now in a more complicated place Angelica, we will leave it there. I as I said to you, we're going to ask you on
0: air live. You are invited to Kilkenomics. It is the All first right. weekend of November. We want our resident Taiwanese expert on stage doing her thing. Are you up for it? Let's hope this thirds the line, David. Let's let's make <laughs> this happen. Great stuff, Angelica. Listen, we will see you soon. Brilliant stuff. Thanks, Civilian Thank Angelica. That Thank was you. brilliant. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
2: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Finger on the pulse, as always. I hope yeah, she, I hope it she makes it over to Kilkenomics, because she'd be great, crack.
0: She will. And actually, by the way, I've spent the last... I, I'll come back to it next time, but I mean... The last day putting together the program at Kilconomics, it's going to be absolutely wonderful. By the way, just mark it in your calendar. The 2nd to the 6th, or maybe the 3rd to the 6th, if you don't come down the Thursday night of November in Kilkenny. All the stars, all the economists, all the comedians. Check it out, kilkenomics.com. Now, Johnny Boy,
1: where Fantastic. do you pick this up from? Well, I don't know. Let's just pick up on where Angelica left off there about the strategy. And the one thing I don't really understand is, what is America's strategy here? Like sending Nancy Pelosi over, it feels like there's almost a kind of a, she's poking the bear a little bit, or poking the panda. Yeah, maybe. Not so, yeah very well. Oh, look at that metaphor. No, I don't know, John. Like, I mean,
0: the the nightmare scenario for the West, and it's the one that Putin has been, I think, banking on is the war on two fronts, the conflict on two fronts, right? You've got a conflict in Ukraine, which is terrifying Europeans. And what strengthens Putin's hand is a tacit alliance, not an explicit alliance, but a tacit alliance with China, where China actually diverts the West in Asia. So you have the West fighting two fronts, and not only two fronts, but two phenomenal adversaries, China and Russia, both of them powerful in their own own way china on the huge demographic side manufacturing side global heft side and russia as we know on the energy side and the last time the west faced an axis of that sort was the alliance between nazi germany and imperial japan in the second yeah. world war yeah, and yeah. fascinatingly although they were aligned technically the germans and the japanese didn't raise a finger to help each other militarily but just the were fact were they so, even talking to each other? In actual fact, they weren't really talking to each other. They, yeah. if you look at if you look at all the documents about ambassadors from Japan in Berlin and German in Tokyo, there wasn't much. But the point was, they split the American resources because the Americans had to fight in the Pacific and in Europe, and yeah. that was sufficient to prolong the war on both sides. I mean, the extraordinary thing about Japan and Germany in the Second World War, is Japan, when Germany was bogged down in Operation Barbarossa, Japan signed a peace treaty with Russia, which allowed the Russians to actually divert soldiers and troops that were in Siberia to divert them into the Western war with Germany, Stalingrad, all that sort of stuff. Mm. So the, the Japanese actually stabbed the Germans in the back in a way because the Germans did the stupid thing is, While the Japanese made peace with the Russians, what did the Germans do? They declared war in America just for the crack, right? (laughs) Okay. So what, what I'm saying is you don't have to have a coordinated frontal attack to split the resources of the United States. That's the first thing the Americans are, I think, terrified of. As to why Pelosi announced it now and not the White House, because again, Pelosi was going as the Speaker of the House. She yeah, wasn't representing yeah, yeah, the State yeah. Department of the White House. It does seem to me to be unusual timing. But as you said, she announced it in April, then nobody could back down. That sort of global diplomacy, I'm going to lose face, you're going to lose face. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think it also, by the way, it, it seemed to tally with the release of Top Gun movie. So you're I think there's a bit wronged.
0: of If I were you, I'd blame Tom Cruise. I would blame yeah. Tom Cruise. Do you know, John, I've never even seen Top Gun the first time. Ah, for God's sake, Mac! My- I actual fact, I was in America when that yoke came out, right? One summer on, uh, well, I didn't even bother getting a J1. I told you, I just decided to go illegally, which yeah. was, I just couldn't be arsed. I actually spent the money that was supposed to be for the J1 on the day. I couldn't be bothered queuing up a Use it. Do you remember that place? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah. but I didn't see Top 1, but you could be right. It could be all, let's blame Scientology for the whole thing,
1: right? Yeah, absolutely. Thing.
0: But I think one thing that's fascinating about Japan, Japan is clearly the link that the Americans are obsessed about. Because Japan is America's huge, huge ally in the neighborhood. It's, and has been a huge supporter of the United States. It's America's number one ally in the region. And I think we'll probably end here. We might try and go to Japan in the next couple of weeks. What happens in Taiwan, as Angelica said, is only a forerunner For what happens in japan yes and that's very very clear that that's where the american concern is so in a way you know to put the russian ukrainian war into context taiwan is the crimea and japan is the real game and that's the one we got to watch while I have you there, listen, I just want to say thank you so much to all our Patreons who really supported myself and John throughout the last nearly three years. Man. Three years, wow. Know, <laughs> it's a long time. I thought it only started last week. <laughs> it's such a good crack though, isn't <laughs> it, is,
1: it? It is, it is, it is. It's like, it's <laughs> like
0: having the dream gig, you know. <laughs> thank you very, very much. And if you do want to support us on Patreon, it's patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. You get ad-free You get courses, you get chats, you can ask me questions, all sorts of stuff. And you really become part of the gang. So that's patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. And again, thank you very much.